Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Technado podcast. The podcast where everybody wins. <laughs> not always. The home edition, right? Yeah. Yeah. All contestants. Contestants today. not appearing on stage. Yeah. We'll get yeah. the home edition. Uh, we we have a, a bit of a change this week. You might have noticed Peter is out, and so we'll, we'll actually have a good podcast for a change. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's shocking. I, I don't, it's destined to happen sooner or later. Yeah. I uh, think you're overpromising. Filling in for Peter is is me, Don Pizzette, the host of the show, I suppose. Uh, And then we brought in an extra guest, Mr. Ronnie Wong. Ronnie, you've been on the show a few times now. I have. I I like the new set. Uh, This is is nice. Oh, is this your first time in the the new set? Yeah, uh, since I I kind of got a new job, but I don't do a lot of this anymore. I kind of... uh, don't do a lot of anything. No, yeah, that's true. Really, I mean, uh, he just, sleeps in the set when we're I not do. here. But that's true. Ronnie is firmly within the uh, realm of middle management. Now. I am. Yeah. I am. <laughs> how, how are your TPS reports going? <laughs> they are going swimmingly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why my mind just said, "What is what is nine times copies called? Is that niplicates? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't think that's I, right. But I think you should trademark. That. I should go with it. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so aside from paperwork, Daniel, how's your life? Uh, yeah, it's fun. I get to watch Ronnie just like in frustration pound his desk yeah Yeah. (laughs) usually because of me (laughs) all right well we had an interesting news cycle this week now in the united states this was the fourth of july week and so that usually means a a slow news week but we did have some interesting things pop up throughout the weeks we're going to talk about those and uh well no sense in delaying we can just jump right into it Our first one is coming to us from Lilliputing.com, and it is the first laptop with a RISC-V or RISC-V processor is coming any day now. So the uh, the quick summary on this one, uh, you know, laptops, that's not new. We've kind of had that technology for a while. Uh, But RISC-V or RISC-V processors, we've talked about those a few times here on the podcast, and we're finally getting the point where instead of just a developer board, you'll now be able to get an actual laptop that's powered by a RISC processor which is pretty cool. So, uh, either of you guys excited about that? Well, I, I actually uh, forgot to read this article, so I have <laughs> legitimate <laughs> questions about this. All right, let's let's do it. <laughs> so, why do I care? Okay, well, yeah. no, that's a really good question, yeah, yeah. right? Because, right? and I'm going to go a slightly different angle. Why, okay, why don't you care? I don't know. Right? So, um, so <laughs> you might... I, I care so little. I don't even know why I should or shouldn't care. <laughs> you you <laughs> might not care at all because your Intel processor works just fine, or exactly. your AMD does, processor, right? right? Yeah. You might not care at all because Tim Cook just sold you on an M2 processor, oh, and you man. wouldn't dream of going with something different. Absolutely. Um, you might not care because you're totally invested in the ARM. Space and ARM mm-hmm. processors are They're the very features, popular. Say. Yes. But Risk Five has been sticking around a lot recently, right. and it's funny because if you just look at it as a processor, it's slower than everything else that's out there, right? So that's that's bad. That's nice. Uh, it's using an instruction set that was developed in the 1980s and hasn't really changed. Right. So Still there's slow. that. Yep. But its so big pedigree. selling point <laughs> is being a truly free processor, uh, and not not free as in money. Oh, right? dang, no. I was about to go get <laughs> me some processors. <laughs> I want to buy them like a bag of Doritos, you know, just chips. <laughs> Remember a couple of years ago with, with Spectre and Meltdown, and everybody was trying to patch that, yeah. and then there was that vulnerability in the Intel management engine. Right. And suddenly everybody learned, like, wait a minute, there's a whole computer running Minix sitting oh, inside right. of my CPU that I'm not even allowed to touch or know about, and, and the Russians yeah. are in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, with Risk V, this is completely developed in the open, and it's totally free, so anybody can manufacture processors to this spec. The whole thing is open and transparent. You can reprogram the processors when you get them to change them, so like total ultimate flexibility. This That's actually kind of makes me think of like the old days... Of you know the seventy like maybe even the late sixties but early seventies and and mid and late seventies where 
like Wozniak, and then were building their own stuff. They had their own control. You would just buy the chip and start programming it and do all that stuff, like really getting back down into the guts of the yeah. thing. Is this gonna, you think it's going to open that kind of thing back up to where people are creating their own new thing based off of this open architecture? It's certainly possible. You know, that would if be you cool. look at ARM, a lot of people, especially for like kit projects and stuff, yeah. will use ARM, ARM processors, but technically that still has to be licensed from ARM. You know, it's not free. Mm-hmm. Apple licenses the ARM instruction set to be able to use with their M2. Their M2 processors aren't ARM processors, but they use the ARM instruction set. So it's still something you have to pay for. With this, it's a truly free standard. So if you're creating a project from scratch, it's it's an option. But it's still somewhat cost prohibitive. Like the dev boards for it are you know, usually in the four or $500 range. This laptop will be priced a little on the high side. Uh, now, what I'm, I'm giving you are positive aspects of it, but let's <laughs> kick this a, a step yeah. further, right? So... You might not be excited about this laptop, but but let me ask you this. What if you knew that this laptop came with an embedded crypto wallet? An embedded crypto wallet. <laughs> a crypto wallet. I, okay. I might rather have mesothelioma. <laughs> <laughs> what do I need an embedded crypto wallet? Yeah. All right. All right. Well, what if I said that if you were one of the first hundred people to pre-order this laptop, you'd get an NFT? Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Woo. All right. So. I think I also read that you actually can get your name engraved on the oh. laptop too. Well, that's that's cutting edge. Yeah, <laughs> get my name engraved on my butt if I want. I mean, it's like a yeah. worthy endeavor. But you wouldn't get the laptop. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So you know, it's a neat project. I think these things do have legs. I think mm-hmm. we'll keep seeing Risk Five over the next few years. But I think this laptop's a bit of a joke because they stuck an NFT on it. But <laughs> so so the goal of releasing this laptop. Are there already applications that are people are actually kind of designing for it, or are they just saying this is this is kind of the platform and we're giving you this opportunity using this? This one's focused for developers. Okay, they're trying to get developers in there now and get them to start porting their applications over, right? So there, there's several distributions of Linux that have already been ported over to run on Risk Five, but applications aren't there yet. So they want developers to do that. Developers won't do it until they have usable machines, and so Makes this is sense. kind of that first step. Yeah. So uh, on the Linux side, uh, do you know like an example of which uh, distros are actually kind of porting themselves over yet? Uh, so the, the the first one to do it, well, shoot, I shouldn't say that. there's a, like a fringe for, one but or whatever. I mean, yeah. But you know, there's your standard like Gen two where okay. they always focus on moving right. to other architectures, so you you can do that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some unofficial ports of Debian. I don't think Debian okay. has it official yet. So so we'll we'll see it. It's all coming down the line. Um, but I saw this one. It is. It, it will be the first like full computer, laptop, whatever that's that's available on a commercial basis. But I thought the NFT and crypto stuff was kind of funny. That that, have funny. we seen any kind of like um, uh, performance specs on this thing? Is it hanging with the big dogs or? So this one, it, it's not actually manufactured yet, so we can't oh, see it. Even. But but it's a guarantee it'll be slower. All yeah. okay. all Risk yeah. Five stuff is slower I right now. You, yeah, absolutely. So, other than the openness of it, what's the real like? draw why would yeah. someone want to do this other than to develop something completely new like it seems like it's very niche yeah well so it it, it really is focused on the openness and the the free okay. side of it right that it's really all that's there because the, the rest of it every other processor does a better job of being a processor yeah. but because of the development costs that go behind it and licensing and so on it makes it expensive right so there are people kind of like the um uh oh shoot what's the laptop where they're focused on um Transparency. Um, well, they made the stupid phone. The one thing. Uh, shoot, I can't remember phone. the name What's of it. The name of the phone? Hmm. It'll come. Lib. It was a Libre, Librum, Librum something. Yeah. Like, I they mean, made a laptop yeah. focused on you know completely being free and transparent, yeah, and people yeah. paid for it, and it cost a little more than a normal laptop, but it wasn't any better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it was just supporting this this idea yeah, of gotcha, transparency. Gotcha, gotcha. That's how this is. And if developers get behind it, mm-hmm. then you'll start to see more development. Then the speeds will start to come up. Then it becomes viable. But as it is right now, it's just not there. It just takes time. It is, and like going to the idea of transparency, if we start seeing that within like the realms of government and things like that, where, oh, you must use this type of laptop because of the transparency of it, that's what we kind of yeah. see that push into that realm. That yeah. makes sense. I mean, think about services like TikTok. Yeah. Where you have zero transparency, right? Yeah. So we yeah. don't really know. Once your data goes into TikTok, yeah, you'll see what happens. It. Yeah. yeah, it's a black box. Right. 
So this is kind of one okay. step towards making that a little more visible. I well, like I mean, it then. With, without Radio Shack around, how do you build one of these processors? I mean, as a oh, you don't person. like. <laughs> yeah. We're past the stage <laughs> of human beings yeah, being I'm, able to build yeah, processors. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, how do you do it without Radio Shack? I mean, <laughs> so I was playing around with these radioactive isotopes in my garage. I don't feel good, but I did come up with something really cool. <laughs> so the other day, I needed a resistor, and and sadly, I, 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 know, I was like, man, shack. I used to be able to run down a Radio yeah. Shack and. and and now there's nowhere. The hell like, did no. you need a resistor for? That was an alarm system. Uh. You know, a lot of uh, uh, you have the little contact sensors yeah. that are on windows or whatever. Uh, not windows, the operating system, but yeah. actual yeah, windows to your house. <laughs> so there's usually a little resistor, an inline resistor. Right. That if it, that way, if, if somebody tries to bypass the sensor, it picks that up. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. So I was replacing one. These are the things I do in my spare time. Mm. Look at you. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's move on to our next article here. Uh, speaking of free and open and transparent, let's talk about Microsoft Windows. Microsoft mm. had a bit of a bad week, so yeah. we're going to run through a few Microsoft articles here. They pee brown water. <laughs> That's right. You should really see a doctor about yeah, that. Yeah, you really should. Uh, this one comes to us from The Verge, and it's, there's a better way to bypass Windows 11 install restrictions. Now, we reported a couple of months ago about how when Windows 11 launched, it had a requirement on it that you had to have TPM version 2.0. Right. And that negated a lot of devices, rather. So a lot of people whose machines weren't eligible to go to Windows 11. Now, I will tell you personally, Windows 11 is not a big deal. So if you're stuck on Windows 10, don't feel like you're stuck. It's yeah. it's fine. Um, but, you know, that, that was a problem for people. So the, the open source uh, image burner, Rufus, mm -hmm. released an update that allowed you to create a Windows 11 ISO that didn't have the TPM requirement on it. So we, we talked about that. That's old news. The new side of this, though, is Microsoft has started requiring you to set up a, a an actual yeah. Microsoft account whenever you install Windows 11, and they've now extended that to the Pro version as well. Mm -hmm. It used to just be the Home version. Now Home and Pro, when you install Windows 11, you've got to create an online Microsoft account. Well, Rufus has updated so that you can create an installable ISO of Windows 11 that doesn't require you to mm -hmm. use a or create a Microsoft account, which is great for people who don't want that if you just want a local account. So it was a neat update to see. Yeah, they really don't want me to install Windows anymore. Like, <laughs> I, I just don't get the push to make me have to use a Microsoft account. I mean... But Daniel, why, why wouldn't you yeah, want I mean, OneDrive? Because I don't care. <laughs> right? Like, I, I'm not that kind of user. That, I'll be honest with you. Is like, I, I yeah, OneDrive's nice, but... I'm probably already too deep embedded into Google Drive or whatever or Dropbox to give to whatever's about. But, but what about your bookmarks? How, how are you going to keep your bookmarks safe if yeah, your computer you crashes? Know, Chrome kind of does that. <laughs> what about your photos, the, the yeah, memories was, of your children? I, I hear what you're saying. Again, Google <laughs> Photos is a thing. Not to mention the swaths of actual hardware backups that I have. What, what about your Xbox gamer tag? So, fun fact, I don't have an Xbox. <laughs> what? Okay. So, eat it. <laughs> so, this is the problem with people in the Microsoft ecosystem. Yeah. yeah. Is they, they, they see their services and the value they create, and they just don't understand a world where you wouldn't have it. Uh, if you look at Apple, Apple's yeah. Yeah, very really bad about this. Yeah. Like, where's the Microsoft? So, yeah. you know, you, you cannot use an iPhone or an iPad without an Apple ID. Fun fact, I don't use any of that shit either. <laughs> 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 Ronnie, where, where do you fall on this? Because you're, yeah, you're not. Yeah. Well, we are talking Microsoft, right? I was about right. to go Apple. I know you're, you're not a big Apple. Well, you do use an iPad. Yeah, yeah I do. do. So I've slowly started migrating towards that way over the past several years and really enjoy the, the very ecosystem that it's in. But on, on this thing, I, I think the whole push was to make it more secure. And now people are just saying, well, let's go ahead and just bypass it during the install even. So... You know, it's not Microsoft trying to do this anymore. It's now people coming up with third-party utilities like, yeah, no, that's such a bother. That's such a hassle. So if you do this, do you still get the same? I'm assuming you don't get the protections at all from TPM then. Would you? Well, it, I mean, if you don't have a TPM and you use yeah, the bypass, well, yeah. you're, you're not going to get the benefits there. Yeah. yeah. 
And uh, and then without the Microsoft account, do you still get updates then, or would that yeah, still, you still work? get updates? Okay, I'm not sure. yeah. Yeah. In fact, because I I used to do this where I I wouldn't log in with a Microsoft account. Right. I wanted to have a local account, mm-hmm. but I would still use OneDrive yep. and have that installed and, and see. Right. So you could you can pick and choose the services you want versus having to take the whole kit and caboodle. Uh, which is what you have to do when you log in with a Microsoft account. So they're just trying to say, look, the easy way is to get everything. And so this gives you kind of back to what you wanted, which was pick and choose what you want instead and do it on your own. Now, I was surprised they extended it to Windows 11 Pro. Yeah. Because that that makes sense if you're using Azure AD or whatever, you're going to log in with that. But for people who are using Windows and aren't using Azure AD, it's kind of a hassle. It is. They hate us, Don. That's (laughs) the problem. You will will love Big Brother. Uh, you must not just agree with Big Brother. <laughs> you must. Just everything about it is good for you. Oh, yeah, you were uh, you were going through rereading In 1984. Yeah, I kind of got stuck halfway oh, through okay. it and was oh. like, got, got It's not an easy read. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't find it to not be an easy It's just that I got distracted on something and never finished again, so... And so now you're okay with Big Brother. Oh, yeah. Big Brother's great. Man, I ain't going in that Room 101 business. That's, that, that seems wrong. I ain't, I ain't got nothing in there. I got to yep. go find. No, no. I, I'm okay with rats. Yep. All right. Let's. Uh, we have we really talked about rats. Yeah. We talked about rats last week. This is going to be our new recurring yeah, it's theme. Just a rat over here. Rats and Scrooge McDuck. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our next one. Uh, speaking of Microsoft, uh, this one's coming at us from the register.com. Supply chain blamed amid claims of Azure capacity issues. Now, I thought this was really interesting because I haven't seen the capacity issues myself. Yeah. It turns out it's a little bit regional, but in certain areas, especially in the European data centers, there are there's capacity issues with Azure. They, there are times where they're disabling demo accounts, so you can't sign up for a new account in those yeah. regions. There's times where they're limiting instances or virtual machines from popping up. So if you shut your machines down, you might not be able to start them back up again, depending on resources. And Microsoft has actually come out and made a statement on this. Insiders, uh, unconfirmed sources, just a middle say, finger, uh, <laughs> are saying that the problem is it's it's because it's harder for them to get infrastructure uh, because of the supply chain shortage, right? So they need more servers, they need more storage, and they're having a hard time getting that. Um, Microsoft has come out and said, well, it's actually because they have so far donated over $100 million in resources to the Ukraine war effort, which is kind of interesting. Uh, I didn't I didn't know about this. This was new uh, to me, no. that when the, the Ukraine war started, or whatever we're calling it these days, the uh, Russian special military operation, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when, when that, that started... Microsoft helped the the Ukrainian government move their entire infrastructure into Azure. Yep. And they just said, like, we, we don't know if your city is going to be destroyed, if you're going to lose your infrastructure. So let's just move it into Azure, and we'll protect it from all the cyber attacks that you're going to get, and you'll be able to stay online, which is, is pretty neat. Mm-hmm. No doubt about that. Question. Uh, Bill Gates, he got a bit of money, right? Uh, he's got a little bit. He yeah, got a little, a little bit. bit. Just away. a couple of dollars, yeah. right? Maybe he could take time off from buying farms. <laughs> And buy a server farm, <laughs> and then they wouldn't have that problem. You know what I mean? It seems like they. It seems like they would have the money to just go. Oh, if if money is an issue, it shouldn't really be. Like if, that's what it seems like you were saying. Like we spent a hundred million dollars on supporting Ukraine, and that's what kind of put us back. So what what, what I meant because I, I don't think money is a problem no, that's for Microsoft, what I mean. right? Yeah. So uh, what I meant was it, they, they spent a hundred million, yeah. which means they likely took servers that were destined for regular Azure. Gen and so pop. now they yeah. okay and so dedicated it. To this me. is where I was getting confused. At first we were saying it was supply chain, or they were saying mm-hmm. it was supply chain. We can't get the infrastructure to build so that we can you know uh, mm-hmm. allocate these things for you, good folks out there. And then it was, well, that's because, you know, we spent $100 million worth of that stuff to the Ukrainian support. It, I, is, is it both? Is it? No, I think it's, it's, a, a, it's really based on, on supply. So, so there just isn't enough stuff. Right. And gotcha. let, me, let me give you an example. So, like, let's say you come to me and say, Don, I need a new laptop. And I yeah. say, all right, I'm going to order you a laptop. It'll be here in two weeks. Okay. Right, because that's the lead time right now because oh. of the supply chain. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. Well, <laughs> Thank you. In the meantime, Ronnie comes to me a week later and says, Don, I need a new laptop, and I'm more important than Daniel. And I say, absolutely you are. And so I say, all right, well, Daniel's laptop is coming in. I'll just give you Daniel's, and I'll order another one for Daniel. 
And but, now my well, wait time just got kicked up another two weeks. Right. Gotcha. And so that's what's happening to Microsoft is they they had likely already ordered services. They're constantly yeah. growing capacity. Yeah. But now they took a huge block Chunk. of that infrastructure and assigned it to Ukraine. Gotcha. And they can't replace it fast enough. So that they're, totally they're working on that. Yep. Yeah, well, what are they going to do? Huh? What are they going to do? Well, they say? a couple of choices. I mean, one yeah. choice is what they're doing, which yeah. is to restrict services. Right, Ronnie? Mm. Yeah, that's what I was actually seeing was some of the, the restriction of services I've seen I don't know if it's drastic, but the ability to not have your server scale up when they need to. Yeah. That seems to be a little bit drastic. That, that's a big deal because you know, what's a big advantage of the cloud? Yeah. yeah. Auto scaling, right. unlimited yeah. resources. The yeah. fact that they, like, if I deprovision something to save some money, I might not get that back for a while. Yeah. yeah. That that's seems like one. a heart yeah. attack situation waiting to happen right the, there. There was a, there was one quote from a guy where, where their company, at the, at the end of business hours, so yeah. at 5 p.m. every day, they would spin the resources down. Right. So they didn't pay for them overnight. And then in the morning, they'd spin them back up. Yeah. But he said he was having problems spinning them back up in the morning. Right. And, there's a joke here. But, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and so uh, instead, they would leave it on all night. Uh, yeah. and, and they would just pay for it throughout yeah. the night. Just so they right. would know that they'd have them in the morning. Right, because the money they spent on not losing it was better than not having it during production times. Right. Yes. Yep. So it's interesting. It's, it's something we don't normally think about with the cloud, or at least I don't yeah. think yeah. about it. I think of unlimited resources that are always there. Yeah. And now, is AWS over there going, <laughs> I would assume so. Good they, for us. They're not having any challenges. Right. <laughs> Do you think that they, they'll that uh, Microsoft will lose customers to AWS because of this? It could. Like, if I'm in a hurry, if I need servers right. and I can't yeah. get them. Or if I'm like going, I mean, I guess it would be a big, if I wanted to move from one provider to another, that would be a big migration, wouldn't it? It depends. You yeah. know, if you. If you are doing a modern web application and yeah. you developed it with like Terraform for deployment and containerized module, should just be a flip switch, right? Then it, it really is. Yeah, yeah, you just flip on over. As long as it's like maybe you built it around Kubernetes right. and you've got a compatible service on the two, then you can move it. No big deal. Maybe you've already gone hybrid between two cloud right. providers, right? Then it's That's no big true. deal. But if you said I'm going all in Azure mm -hmm. or all in AWS and focused on their proprietary stuff, mm -hmm. like I want to use Aurora DB, right. which is just AWS, yeah, right. I can't move to anybody else right. because I've I've bought in on theirs. So this is where you have to find a way to, to work around. Now, right now, if if you our listener are experiencing this right now, the workaround is other regions. Right. So this is a very regional problem for Microsoft. Right now it's affecting the West Coast data centers and the European data centers. Not quite sure why it's so spread out like that, but that means that if you've developed your infrastructure all around one particular region, now's the time to consider multi-region, mm -hmm. right? Because you might be able to get those resources in another area. Might be a little more latency, but it's better than nothing, mm -hmm. and you're able to, to get back online. Well, there you go. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? <laughs> Diversify, yo. Yeah. <laughs> Just like Wu-Tang says. Just said. like Wu-Tang says. Those are smart guys. They are indeed. All right, let's let's uh, let's move into one of our special segments. So this week we've got a dough. Sometime today. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, jo, so, don't. <laughs> All right. Don't forget, go back to the tech data or it'll just keep looping. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, this week's dough is brought to you by... Microsoft. Oh, hey. All right. <laughs> so, They're so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got uh, this one's coming from ArsTechnica.com. Microsoft Exchange servers worldwide hit by stealthy new backdoor. Well, this is a bad one. If you run a on-prem Microsoft Exchange server, which which many organizations still do, not everybody has gone Office 365. Uh, there were some well-known exploits earlier in the year. Turns out that piggybacking on those was a particular type of backdoor that is spreading out across the world. Uh, I, I say across the world. I think I said 34 organizations were affected, so not as widespread as some. I thought it was, yeah, it was 34, 34 servers in 24 organizations. Yeah, 20 oh, okay. 24, yeah. All right. Well, that makes it seem even smaller than yeah, it does. 34 yeah. servers. Yeah. Although, Unless that organization is like, you know, the government. <laughs> one exchange server can host. 50,000, 60,000 mailboxes, yeah, right. right? So, I mean, it could be a little more widespread if you think of it that way. But, uh, but yeah, so this was a, an interesting one because the way the attack worked, uh, and that's why I brought it up here uh, on the podcast, because this one is actually an IIS backdoor. And if you've never heard of IIS, <laughs> oh, you are living a charmed life to me, that's for sure. Uh, that's Microsoft's web server, and Microsoft Exchange relies on that pretty heavily. 
Well, what this backdoor does is it used a uh, an IIS plugin. Uh, IIS has a, a number of add-ons you stick on. Like if you want the, to use PHP, you stick the PHP add-on to it or, or whatever it is that you're doing. And when web pages come along that meet the criteria for, say, PHP, IIS hands it off to that module. Well, this backdoor is a malicious module. I think they call it the session manager. Session and manager, yeah. if specially crafted HTTP packets were sent along, they'd get forwarded to this, and that was the backdoor giving an outside attacker full access, access. to your system. And it was extremely difficult to detect. So this one seemed like a pretty cool attack. It definitely did. I, I find malware to be fascinating the people that write that stuff horrible people <laughs> but man are they like Creative. they're crafty yeah. little suckers <laughs> out there just going hmm how can we so i, I you know I, I dabble i play around I, I find it like i said i find it fascinating reversing the stuff and seeing what techniques are being used so this was a really cool article for me to, to kind of look through and see how like you say you just have a module and kind of sits there it looks innocuous it passes traffic it's not doing anything weird, but if it receives the right traffic, it goes, hey, go do something normal while you're at it. Why don't you grab this for me there? Would you be, be a peach and then uh, give me back the uh, other information as well, and I'll send that along. And the way it was you know, uh, contacting the C and C server, the command and control, and sending information back and creating connections and sockets and doing all that. It had a bunch of capabilities, and apparently it's gone through a few iterations. Like, Upgrades. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. They were like, oh, this is good, but it could be better. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is what we see nowadays with a lot of, like, APT groups where they will create some very basic malware that does the job. It's kind of quick and dirty. And as it continues to maintain and grow in popularity, they're like, well, you know what? Since we, you know, this isn't, this isn't your your average Ford Pinto here. <laughs> we can really give you some some high speed, low drag kind of stuff going on here. Increase your capabilities, give you more um, stealthiness and that kind of thing. So that's what we're kind of seeing with this. It was really interesting stuff. So looking, I looked into the APT group that is using this primarily. It's like, I don't know, Ghislaine Maskwell. I forget the name of it. <laughs> it it's got a weird name, like Geslium or... Yeah, it was it's, like it's a, a Giselleum. Yeah, Giselleum. Something like yeah, that, yeah. I, I forget. But um, it had like three stages of uh, the, the dropper, then the loader, and then the main, and how it interacted and changed, and you know a bunch of junk code put in there. Really, really... Really high-level stuff for the APT groups out there. Out there, so I would I would look into it. It's really cool. I heard the uh, the newest revision of it requires you to sign up for a Gisellium account. <laughs> <laughs> they won't let you use that. That's their right. <laughs> They're like, hold on. I know who this is. <laughs> is this this is Microsoft. They're they're backdooring their own stuff. Now, uh, Ronnie, I thought you yep. might find this interesting because you you filmed a whole Wireshark series for us a I while did. back, and you deal with that. Um, Detecting something like this on the network, I, I I used to work at a bank and I had to review network logs and stuff. And and attacks like these were really challenging because of how low volume they were. Right. Right. When you load a single web page, you have megabytes of pictures mm -hmm. that are pulled down, and and even the the like JavaScript and HTML and all yeah. that is, is is fairly large. The command packets that this software used were really small. Right. So when we talk about an HTTP packet, you're talking about one little packet that's thrown across the network in the midst of millions of others. Really hard to spot something like this, isn't it? Yeah, and, and at the same time, the other, like what Daniel was mentioning, the junk packets that they threw in, you know, to kind of hide all that to, in the midst of all it, I think it'd be yeah, somebody that's super skilled at Wireshark and doing that may be able to go, ah, here's one packet and all that links up to that flow of the next pack and mm -hmm. all that comes together. But somebody's just starting out trying to figure this out. I think they would have been really challenged even with all the tools that were available. Yeah, it's like a needle in a haystack. Well, how, how long did they say that they were compromising? This was 15 months? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's a hot minute right there. Yeah. And, you know, if I forget the original exploit they were using to get in, but proxy. Proxy, ah, it's proxy something. Proxy login or something like yeah, that. But proxy yeah, proxy login. I think yeah. that's it. Yeah. There's a, uh, it's been patched. Right. Yeah. And so if your system was affected, you may have patched and thought you were fine, but if the back door was already there? installed, yeah, late. what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's what you got to go through. Well, it's a good thing that people are doing this research and trying to figure this stuff out, seeing whether or not that, you know, so, what it looks like. In so what makes the, the uh, 365 online more secure than, than the Exchange 
on premise then the the fact that you have a full staff of Microsoft okay, employees that's monitoring okay, and yeah, supporting yeah, it yeah, yeah okay I mean Ronnie you I and I instead yeah. of Don yeah. <laughs> we've managed my right. exchange oh, yeah. servers in the past and we'd go weeks without looking yeah, at no it sometimes doubt. right if we did we run an exchange now <laughs> <laughs> out of curiosity no. yeah, as long as those logs didn't build up too far <laughs> we were okay <laughs> a lot of times <laughs> I mean it does it does beg the question though is like and I think this is something that We've seen just in general on the internet debating why are we still doing on-prem, you know, mm. exchange installs. It seems like it's a bad idea, Don. As someone who has been <laughs> yeah. an exchange administrator, sure. what say ye? So there, there's two reasons why you might want to go on-prem, and and one reason is there is actually a cost break where it does end up being less expensive at a certain point, mm. uh, but. For most people, that's not realistic, right? Uh, so then the other reason is simply regulatory compliance. Yep. There are, are some businesses and government agencies where they cannot store their data in regular old Azure mm -hmm. or in AWS or wherever, and so they need to support their own infrastructure. They want to run their own servers. So that's really the only two scenarios that are out there. After that, uh, every it used to be that there were certain things you could do on-prem that you couldn't right. do in the cloud, but over the last 10 years, that, that race is over. You, now there's things you can do in the cloud that you can't do on-prem. Right. So it's a different world. Mm. Yep. Hmm. Yep, that's true with just about all the services. Yeah. These, yeah. Like the databases and things okay. that, you know, going in the cloud is more expensive sometimes, but it's, it's got a lot of benefits to it. Well, gentlemen, we've, uh, we've gotten through the halfway mark here, so why don't we stop for a quick commercial break, a word from our sponsors. Uh, but don't go anywhere because we have a couple more articles to get through here before the end of this episode. So we'll take a break right here. Stay tuned. We'll be back after this. How do IT leaders stay on top of their game with the IT Pro TV webinar series? Twice per month, IT Pro TV presents a webinar on current topics in the IT world. What are some of the key things we should be doing in our organization to make sure that we're prepared for disasters and that... Uh, so what do you say we go ahead and get started with today's topic, how to train your end users G-Threat. So we're going to talk about some of the major things that you need to do to help keep your people safe while they're working remotely. You can catch IT Pro TV webinars live or watch on demand when your schedule permits. See them all. Visit itpro.tv slash webinars today. So you've tried online IT training, but it's boring, out of date, and pricey. Well, IT Pro TV is always engaging, always fresh, and plans start at just $29 a month. It's online IT training that doesn't suck. Start today at itpro.tv. All right, welcome back everybody to TechNado with with me. <laughs> That's right. Uh, all right, we got a couple more articles to jump through here. Our next one falls in our Don't Make No Sense segment. What you talking about, Willis? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this one comes to us from Slashdot.org. Uh, how bug bounty platform HackerOne handled its own internal threat actor. Uh, this was a fascinating read, if you have a chance to read the article. But HackerOne, I, I, let's start there, right? Yeah. So the HackerOne is a platform that assists companies that don't have bug bounty platforms or official pen testers or whatever. You can sign up for HackerOne and their pen testers and, and you know, whatever. We'll, we'll check your system and do proper reporting and you pay a bounty and so on. Well, a bit of a situation happened uh, where, and this was uh, several weeks ago, but we're just now finding out about it. That uh, basically a employee of HackerOne had accessed log information to find about a, a exploit that was detected for a customer and reached out directly to that customer. And I know there was one customer for a fact, but I think they were saying seven altogether were affected, so he must have reached out to all seven uh, and basically threatened to disclose the information and, and was extorting them for payment. <laughs> well... This was traced back to him. HackerOne found out about it. And, and, and in HackerOne's defense, they right. did a pretty good job of, of being transparent and reporting all that happened and, and shutting off that user's access and figuring out what happened, reporting it to the customers that were affected and so on. But it really highlights a, a bit of a, a weak spot for us here that if we're engaging with companies like this to test us, how do we know we can trust their employees? And with HackerOne, that goes a step further because really anybody can go and sign up to become a pen tester with HackerOne 
this particular person is a little more dangerous because they were an actual employee of HackerOne, right. not just a random person that signed up. Yeah, they they actually had the capability to like, all right, so the way a bug bounty program works <clears throat> is you sign up for these platforms, HackerOne, BugCrown, so on and so forth. And then if you <clears throat> discover a vulnerability, you submit that to the company through the program, right? So the program has the record of what you're submitting because they're kind of like the middleman between you and that company, that organization. So that employee was able to see those submissions and then from there go, I'm going to submit that anonymously or not anonymously, but uh, pseudo anonymously as a private, because you don't have to go through a platform like that. Like yeah. They do have a lot of companies will just, if you find something, you can contact the company directly and say, I think I found something. You know, I'd like a bug bounty if that is available, and they, they check it out. Now, what ends up happening is because there's so many researchers out there, a lot of times you get duplicates, right? Yeah, It's not uncommon. So from what I was reading, they were contacting these companies saying, I'm the, I'm the true discoverer of this vulnerability. I did it first. And then they would use their insider information to try to, like, blow holes in the fact that it was already submitted in hmm. HackerOne. And then kind of getting nasty with them, using threatening language to say, no, 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 if you don't give me the money, then we're going to have a problem. Yeah. Right? So that's what they were using. They had that, like, that insider information to be able to try to like f pressure them into seeing them as the original, not the duplicate, and give them the payout. Yeah, and, and it is important to note that this internal threat actor uh, was not the person who discovered the vulnerability. Right. Somebody else discovered the vulnerability, but he was able to see that. So this employee, who he had only been with HackerOne for two and a half months, right. had access to the system to be able to view vulnerabilities that were discovered, but either not disclosed or not patched yet by the right. customers it was being reported to, and he was taking advantage of that. So th this brings up a few questions for me. You know, like, first off... Are HackerOne employees able to see every vulnerability in the database? And apparently, up until he was. recently, they were. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the second one is is a little more important, which is uh, how do they vet their employees? Yeah. Right. And they, they mention in things they're going to do better, right? right. So they, they, they put out a list of changes they're going to make to try and prevent this. And one of those was they said, obviously, our background check system did not catch this person. We're going to make some improvements there. Mm -hmm. Now, that makes me wonder, because they're being transparent, but in my opinion, not completely transparent. Like, what about their background check didn't work? Right. Does, yeah, does this person have a dirty record and they didn't pick it up, right? Yeah. I mean, sometimes yeah. it's it comes down to there are people out there that have never done a thing, quote-unquote, wrong in their life, right? There's no record of any wrongdoing because they've never just been given the opportunity and the means and the motive mm -hmm. to do so. And all of a sudden they find themselves behind the key of the shiny new car and temptation overwhelms them how, how do you, you know then all of a sudden we're in minority report and yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. you got to try to predict whether or not someone's gonna commit a crime and then not hire them based off of your predictions and now you're you're basically being prejudiced against them for something they haven't done yet because you think they will yeah yeah it's weird it's a weird spot yeah it's the way that hacker one though listed that as one of those improvements right looking into that background check I think that means that they really did find something that they should have spotted before. I, I you know, uh, so in other words, I, I think it wasn't that it was like the, yeah. the zero day guy. You know, he just found it and he was able to to, to spot it, and, and that was fine. And he had never done anything before. But I think they really, once they did more background check or whatever company that they had do it, say, uh, yeah, this should have raised a red flag, and that now they're saying, oh, we, we should probably do better. Well, and and that's why I put this in the that makes no sense category yeah. because mm. to me. This seems like a really obvious thing that was destined to happen sooner or later, right? Mm -hmm. To me, it seems like if, if you're a company acting as the middleman between pen testers Companies. and a customer, mm -hmm. right, you know that you're holding exploits that are not patched yet, it seems like it's a no-brainer to me that any employee could take that data and try and sell it, mm -hmm. could right. you know, try and directly contact a customer or whatever. It seems like they should have had better protections in place already. Well, and, and you would think going along those same thought lines is that if I were a threat actor and I wanted access to a repository of unpatched, zero, basically zero-day exploits to probably companies that I would like access to, 
I would want to become an employee of the give me that insider access or pay for insider access and someone. Yeah. I'm, I'd like to know like just randomly from the employees at HackerOne, Buckcrowd, all these other places, are they getting uh, solicited? From APTs or you know nation states to hey we will give you a million dollars to you know. yeah I mean now I, I have heard of people double dipping right? yeah where you know they they'll report a bug but they'll also sell it oh, on yeah, the yeah, on the dark yeah. web or whatever and you don't know that's happening right, it's yeah. just there it is so they can get the fame on one side and still get some money on the yeah. other uh, it, there, there is a positive double dipping where they they find a vulnerability that affects five different companies, so they report it to right. five different companies. Right. right? To me, that's not that's not right. nefarious. That's, that's just, just good business. Opportunistic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, but but when they when they take that one vulnerability and they disclose it and they sell it on the dark web, that's nefarious. Right. You know, that that's a little different. Well, to me, it's interesting that the company came back to HackerOne and was able to say, "Look, you know, here's this guy, and this is what he's doing," and I. I'm wondering if the guy actually did say I'm part of HackerOne or something happened there, you know, where he revealed that information that they came back to HackerOne and said, look, we think it's this or that, whatever they discovered. That's certainly possible. Yeah. I mean, or maybe the, he just seemed to have too much information for yeah. a regular So from outsider. what I read, they said that the submission yeah. had just come, they had just received a submission from HackerOne, and then they received a submission from this gentleman. <laughs> uh, okay. It, within a very short amount of time. They received both submissions, right. Mm. right? And that's kind of the that seems to be the the grift, right? Is oh, I'm I'm it's almost like a race condition, right? Yeah. No, 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 no. It was me. I'm first, not them. And because he apparently used strong language, they contacted Hacker One, going, "This seems weird." Yeah, you know, yeah. This how does the company do strange. that? Figure out the idea of that race condition that you're talking about. Which one's legitimate? And which one isn't? For, for the company, well, I, I don't think they could. That's why they right, reported it to right, HackerOne. Right. Yeah. And, this, and, of course, that person is going to try to use social engineering and pressure to go, you need to give I, I will sue you. I will do this. Or who knows what they said yeah. to try to push that envelope. It's just easy for them to, to go. I mean, someone's getting the payout. We got the vulnerability. You know, how many of those people might just go, well, yeah, here's the money, and we'll close it with HackerOne and yeah. call it a day. I did enjoy reading the timeline on yeah. this one because you know, they detail yeah. when everything happens, and it, it took – it was over a week before they fired the guy, but he had been suspended much earlier right. on. Well, they had to discover it was him first. Yeah. Well, and, and they, they said they were able to immediately remotely lock his machine, yep. and they started doing remote forensics. Yeah. So they were doing forensics Logging on it before they even yep. seized it, but they did seize his machine and stuff. So they, they had a lot of really cool steps in place. But you can you can also tell the things behind the scenes, like when when their security team was finally able to attribute it to this guy, it was at like almost midnight yeah. when they said, all right, we know it's this guy. But then it was 9 a.m. before the employee was terminated by leadership. So you're like, well, leadership was asleep. <laughs> they didn't get to work until 8 a.m. Yeah. And then they made the decision he was yeah, terminated by 9. Much, yeah. Like, you got to get your coffee. You should be getting a call, dog. Be like, get your ass up. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so anyhow, if you do have a chance, jump on HackerOne's website. They wrote yeah. it all up and, and, and disclosed Great it all. Great detail. So you, can, yeah. you can see what it's like for them to handle it. And, and they, they have to do that. Really, right. they got to eat their own dog food. Right. right. Yeah. Yep. So that was an interesting one. Uh, let's move on to our last article this week, which is a Who Got Pwned? And let's see. It's somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Looks like you're about to get pwned. Fatality. Yeah! I really enjoyed the uh, the wrist brace that this guy's sporting. All right, this one is brought to us by Engadget.com. And uh, who got pwned this week is the British Army. The British Army Twitter and YouTube accounts compromised to promote crypto scams. What? No, not a crypto scam. And, but... and their new Risk Five laptop. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so this one is not as serious as some of us that we've had in the past, right? right? Because we're not talking about like... Uh, millions of users' data right. or military systems. They didn't take control of the guidance controls or whatever. Uh, but it was a, a bit of a black eye for the British Army where they're... Selling NFTs all of a sudden. Their Twitter page and their YouTube, YouTube. channel were both taken over and, and completely reskinned and everything yeah. to promote cryptocurrency scams of, of various sorts. Um, and, and just shows how, like... Even some of the most secured networks that we have in the world are still 
not impervious to this kind of activity thanks to things like social media where you have to rely on somebody else's network. Yeah, you assume they're the most impervious. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah, yeah. You well, know. you know, they haven't released any real details no, on this one, no. but you can you can put one and one together to right. figure this one out, right? Like I bet if you were to go to a British military base, the the network is super secure. They yeah. have uh, a knock in place yeah. or a sock or whatever that, yeah. that's monitoring all traffic and activity. But their public relations team is probably using a weak password on their Twitter account or got socially engineered, which is more likely yeah. the case, uh, and, and managed to give up the controls to the social media accounts. I'm just of the mind now that if I ever go to something and, uh, you know, one of the people I follow or the sites that I go to and it starts like pushing cryptocurrency out of the blue, it's like, <laughs> Ah, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> we, I think we know what happened here. That's a telltale sign of you have had a problem. <laughs> so uh, I, I don't know how you guys feel about cryptocurrency. Let's start off here, right? So, so Daniel, what's your thought on cryptocurrency in general? I, I have no strong opinions about it because it's not something I'm engaged in. So, I mean, if people want to buy and sell and use cryptocurrency, good for them, right? Go. Go buck wild. I have no care that they would do that or not do that. Uh, I do know that there's a lot of scamming involved with that. There's like a large uh, group of, of, of people out there that are attempting to steal cryptocurrency. There's been a lot of scandals around cryptocurrency. There's been a lot of giant theft of around cryptocurrency. cryptocurrency. <laughs> there's large swings in its value and it's devalued. It's up, it's down, it's this, that, the other. So it's not. it doesn't seem like it's something for me. Because it's of the instability sure. of it. So, um, yeah, it's just not something I care to engage in for me. And, Ronnie, where, where are you at on cryptocurrency? Yeah, I, I so, of course, like anything else, somebody said, well, why don't you just put 100 bucks into it and see what, what happens to it? Well, I watched the $100 drop to $20 immediately, <laughs> and I was done. So that, that's what, what essentially it came down to. But recently, as you've been following, like this guy saying that, uh, you know, uh, or one of the cryptos exchange saying, he owes us a billion dollars, you know, it's like he is in the rears of a billion dollars in terms of that exchange. And you kind of know, like, yeah, this something else is going on yeah. here. So I, I don't think it's very safe at all. All right. So I, I will say on, on my side mm -hmm. that the current implementation of cryptocurrency as is being done today is yeah. a total sham yeah. and, and just cringeworthy, like yeah. how, how scammy it is. And it's it's completely fake money. And, and that that's kind of my, my stance on it. Uh, funny aside, my my son, you know, he, mm. he he like makes memes and things like that, and uh, he asked about cryptocurrency, and I was like, you know, here, I'm gonna get you some Dogecoin. There you go. I, I mined thirty Dogecoin. There you go. <laughs> and so I I gave him thirty Dogecoin, and and he he, he was interested. He was learning yeah. about it. And he was like, well, how how did you get it? What how, how did you get Dogecoin? And I said, well, I, I mined it. And so then I explained to him what mining was. So you know, basically I made it. And he was so you just. You just just made it, mm -hmm. and I said, "Yeah, yeah, you just make it. You know, you run a program, a Bitcoin miner, and it mines Dogecoin. And after a period of time, you find one, and then eventually you find thirty. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "So, so it's not worth anything." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, that's right. It's not worth anything, <laughs> but people think it is. Right. And in this it's case, it's worth whatever yeah. value we put on it. Right? Thirty Dogecoin is worth two dollars yeah. to somebody, right? It's <laughs> it's a fiat system. We declare yeah. Dogecoin is worth X amount. Yeah. Wait, is it fiat or non-fiat? Right?" So I guess it's it's it, so fiat dollars like the American M one dollar right like the American government says this is what this is worth yeah okay and then of course due to things like uh, interest rates and things like that and then the government borrowing from private sectors and doing that interest goes on that and it reduces or increases the amount of the dollar so there's it's got it's got fiat system kind of backing it. And then outside influences that change that based off of whatever the market's yeah. doing. Yeah, I have no idea how it works. I, you know, <laughs> when they say, hey, this is worth, you know, $60,000 at one point, right, when Bitcoin was worth that. Sure. I had no clue how it got to that point where it's worth 60000 Said that people were willing to pay for it. That's it. That's what it So how, how, do, how do we value gold, right? Same thing. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be in that same way, way? like— I, yeah. It is rare. There's only X amount of it in the yeah. world. Therefore, if you took it all together, the known quantity, yeah, and you divvied it out. Because a point when they would run out of bit. Right. In yeah. an incremental way, it would be this. Although you have you have true scarcity with a physical material Correct. like gold versus— Well, doesn't, yeah. uh, doesn't something like uh, Bitcoin specifically do have some sort of weird scarcity? But it's yeah. totally artificial. So yeah, much. It's, it's just but a it does have system. scarcity, though. 
Yeah, well, right. from from their perspective, yes, they, okay. they they have implemented a limit to how many coins gotcha. can be mined in a particular year. It's, it's arbitrarily yeah. limited. But they could change that limit whenever they want, gotcha. and they have. Yes. Or they can do what they've arbitrary. done, which is essentially yeah. split it nineteen thousand times. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, we we need more Bitcoin. You can't. Yeah. Oh well, let's just go ahead and subdivide that again. Is there any cryptocurrency that you find has like the most credence? Or whatever, no. just based on your experience. No, nothing no. with some like real like potential behind it. For a while, you had Tether, yeah. where it was tied to like for every dollar of Tether, there was a real dollar oh, somewhere yeah. backing it, right? But that all turned out to be fraudulent, <laughs> and uh, so you know that, Scam. That, that. Yeah, I mean, really, the when they said it was like all of it was backed, but then it turned out that some of it was investments, and the investments were in other cryptocurrencies. Yeah, yeah. So total scam. I, I remember I watched a documentary on Bitcoin. I don't know, like five years ago or whatever, maybe it was longer. And they were explaining this guy was just, he was buying these rigs and he was putting them together. He's like, I, I'm making so much money. He had these really like ten thousand dollar rigs that he was building mm-hmm. to mine Bitcoin. He's like, I've already got enough money to put all my kids through college. We bought a new house, two new cars, this, that, and the other. And then like six months later. He was working at like a Pizza Hut or whatever. <laughs> He's like, I'm trying to sell these rigs, but no one will buy them. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. the electricity expense alone is costing me because <laughs> it it dips so hard. Yeah. Although you know, just because it's a scam doesn't mean you can't make yeah, money on it. Right? Yeah, no, I'm not going to say that you can't. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Well, um, so much for the British Army. <laughs> what got us on that tangent though was Daniel's comment that whenever you see something that mentions cryptocurrency, it's probably yeah, a scam. Just forget. Uh, it. And yeah, that's probably true. All right. Well, speaking of exciting things that are going on, if you are listening to this podcast right when it drops, well, you've probably got time to make it over to the next webinar brought to us by IT Pro. TV. It is Small Business Security, Best Practices to Protect Organizations. You can check it out over at itpro.tv slash webinars. It is going to be hosted by Wes Bryan, a frequent guest here on Technado, and a special guest subject matter expert, Eric Semmel from TAB. TAB is an MSP group, so a lot of managed service providers out there are familiar with them. Uh, But they're going to get on and talk about best security practices for small businesses, which is a really Really hot topic right not, now. Is not just companies. good security practice. The best. Yeah. The best. Huge. The best. It's be huge. So, yeah. <laughs> huge. <laughs> so. It's going to be amazing. You're going to love it. (laughs) And while you're on the IT Pro TV website, if you choose to sign up for a subscription, be sure to use promo code TECHNADO30 to save 30% on the life of your account. That's right. Not just the first month of the first year, but the entire lifetime of your account. Uh, It helps to support the podcast and keep us providing this high level of journalistic (laughs) excellence that we do every single week. Uh, Yeah, it's a good time. People are like, well, now I know how to make this stop. (laughs) All right. And as a reminder for all of our viewers out there, if there's an article that you saw or a, uh, you know, Mama joke. Your, your mom joke, anything <laughs> like that. Uh, comments, if you totally believe in cryptocurrency, if you want us to just post your crypto wallet so people can take donations, uh, be sure to send us some listener mail over on technado.com or my favorite, technado.do. Uh, and you can go and send messages to us from there or comment on our various social media channels. Peter uh, monitors all of that and brings it back to us. I think we get a filtered view of it, though, because we... We don't get as many insults as we should. <laughs> so. Yeah, you know, there are people out there just cutting us deep. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, that's going to wrap this one up. Ronnie, thanks for joining us this week. Well, thank you for inviting me. And next week, uh, next week's actually going to be special, too. Peter's going to be back, so oh, that's good. Yeah. Yes, I'm going to be in the U.K., and so will I will be... Will you be with us? I will be with us. I'll be remote. I'll be at the Dartford office uh, visiting our U.K. team over there. So, uh uh, so you digital know, I, Don. You won't know it in the podcast, but I'll be when I say the word color, I'll be adding a U to it. Yeah. yeah. Ah. And uh, Crypto Don will be yeah. here. You're and I'll have to be say, drinking your spot of tea as yeah. you're doing yeah. the show. And I'll have to say Z. What's the uh, the bowler hats? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Take the black cab in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us this week. Be sure to t- tune back in for more Technado with Don Pazette.